first episode of Chat With Owen. This is going to be a podcast where I talk to various different interesting and exciting people about their lives, the challenges they may face and their work. Today we'll be chatting to Stephen Byrne, who's an Irish TV and radio personality. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing really good, yeah. I mean, you know, we're still within this uh, brand new world that we're all trying to find out where our place is in it. But um, we're good, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been, in some ways it's been a long year, but it's also been a very quick one as well. Like I keep hearing things that happen in January. I'm like, what? That was five years ago. What are you talking <laughs> about? That's not stop <laughs> but now I'm good I'm you know I'm live with some of my best friends and um my sister's only a few minutes away so we're we're easy for you know meeting up and going for walks and stuff at a social distance so I've still got family I've still got friends and everybody's healthy and it's been you know I could still work as well so it's not been too so uh, important that these mm-hmm. these times like to be able to go out and do your walks and to be able to meet your family and all it's just so blessed absolutely blessed 100 yeah. percent. so uh tell us a little bit about yourself Oh, well, I uh, originally grew up in Australia, which a lot of people are like, what? That doesn't make sense. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> but I, uh, my parents went over to Australia um, when uh, kind of late 80s. Then, you know, I was over there and uh, grew up over there and they got a passport out of me. And um, they'd always wanted to come back to Ireland because they're all Irish. Uh, my whole family are Irish. So they always want to come back here, I think, for education. I think that was just always like, and also to be around family and, and grow up around that. But then ironically enough, all my family pretty much moved to Australia when we came back. So uh, take the hint, I think. Yeah, it's like, oh, really? Okay, that's, I get it. You didn't like <laughs> us that much. Um, so yeah, I spent over there and I, I kind of love that aspect of it that, you know, one, I have dual citizenship so that uh, there's always that option that I can live over there if I ever want to or anything like that. But also just, having that sort of nomadic upbringing when you're young, it does make the world a much bigger place and it does kind of give you that thirst to travel. So kind of had that from an early age. Then, yeah, I went to um, about six or seven schools <laughs> across uh, my young years because one, they couldn't get, my parents couldn't get me into a school here um, because was, I think it was halfway through the year and um, the only school that they could get me into was a girl's school. So I went to a girl's school first off, oh my boy, <laughs> yeah. You know, it wait, wasted on me. Uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that and, you know, yeah, I, had, I was quite a shy child. Like I wasn't too outwardly um, eccentric outside of the house or didn't make friends maybe the, the, the most, you know, in the most easy ways uh, when I was younger. But I probably tie that down a little to always feeling like there was something else and obviously as I became a teenager was like oh yeah I'm gay that's what it is so I think that was always the I think that was always kind of in the back of my mind just kind of suppressing me socially somewhat um I never would have been the person that anybody would have thought would have ended up on tv or radio or anything like that in school because I was so quiet so um yeah oh I was someone came up to me in in TY in fourth year and was um said oh you the new guy I was like jeez I've been here for four years (laughs) (laughs) so I was just yeah, I seeped in and, you know, I played football. So that made me, you know, a little bit fit in a little bit easier and, and all that. Um, and um, yeah, a couple of schools. And then when I was 16, um, I kind of always wanted to do stuff that was a little bit more kind of, um, I guess, creative and, and, and do something in the line of acting or something like that. So I, I started a YouTube channel, started that somehow, like it was at the beginning of YouTube. So YouTube started in 2005. I started my 
channel in 2006 so very very early days um and it was not cool back then there were no james charles's or you know people like that that were changing the game and earning millions of dollars it was seen as like what are you doing on the internet you nerd you loser (laughs) like it was a real aspect of that um nobody got it nobody could understand it and people even it was a sort of time when you know if you were putting any information on the internet people were like you're going to be gotten. Someone's going to kidnap you. <laughs> like, come on. Like, really? Oh like, that was just like the total. Like, my mom didn't understand it. Nobody did. But the people that did understand it were thankfully Orsi. And they were putting together a YouTube show when I was about 17. And uh, I was the only YouTuber in Ireland. So it made sense. And came in, had a meeting, did that show for a year and a half. And then I guess the rest of my career kind of followed on from it and been working with Orsi and I guess other projects and stuff for. 13 years now which is mad wow like to think that all came from a, a youtube channel yeah when you were making your videos um people around you how did they kind of react to them not good yeah i mean I, definitely a few fights like my mom my, really? my mom wasn't yeah my mom didn't understand it completely like because and i get that because i was going up to my room i wasn't going out meeting friends i was up there till like four or five in the morning with the lights on when i had school at 9 a.m and the leaving cert was obviously a year and a half away or whatever she just her focus and worry was that i was gonna go from this really studious and academic person which i was like i got all A's in my junior cert to all of a sudden not giving a shit about school and just honestly putting all my efforts into something else and I guess you know you want to think that your parents will encourage you to to do those sort of things but at the same time she didn't understand it nobody got it no like I was in my room talking to people from around the world till four in the morning and she I think she felt like she was losing me a little bit which is fair like I wouldn't I don't think if in that environment I would have totally understood it um so like family didn't really get it um they thought the videos were funny and they thought that you know it was like it was cool and then when they saw the numbers kind of rising up and it was like millions of views and stuff they were like oh okay what's going on here but back then like it was like the first time i was ever on rte was like whoa but i could have got like 10 million views on a video or something and my parents would have been like cool (laughs) do you know what i mean it's like but like there might be a hundred thousand people watching this on RTE, but it's more legitimate than what I was doing on, on thing. But in school then as well, people just didn't get it. I remember back in the days of like MSN, I'd have people being like, um, I made a video where I, I slagged off an airline in it or something. And um, I remember one of my friends messaged me going like, they're going to sue you. Like, and just really just being like, you know, that's like, why are you doing that? Why, what's the, I'm like, of course we were like kids, you know what I mean? So like you'd say these sort of things, but, or I made a video about like people who were, like uh, who stab you in the back and stuff like this and that was a definite kind of aim at someone that i knew and (laughs) someone was like that's really mean to put that online blah blah and what like but we were teenagers you know it was all very and everything was tongue-in-cheek and i never mentioned anybody with names and i was just a a a kid who was finding himself a way to express himself in a way that he'd never found before and I never expected anybody to really see it because the internet for me back then was a really separate place to real life nowadays you look on Instagram and everybody's there everybody's your mum's a content creator if she has an Instagram everyone is a content (laughs) creator whereas back then nobody was and it was an all, all little secret world and um yeah it's just one day I was put on the front page of YouTube and that meant that if you had back then a Google um, homepage, uh, they used to call it, they used to put the featured video on google.com and a lot of people had google.com as their homepage on their browser. So it was like, I was automatically, I think that video got like 1.4 million views. And it was just like, there you go. In a day, everybody in school knows. Everybody's aware of what's going on. And 
that next day in school was quite nerve-wracking um really? someone yeah so even a teacher said it to me i was going around collecting money for a, a third world support group that i kind of worked with in the school and um i went to class and the teacher was like he was a bit of a strange guy he was like come here come here come here and i went over to him and he just went i saw you last night on my thing i just i couldn't get rid of you i couldn't get rid of you and I felt really intimidated by that, to be honest. I was a bit like, uh, uh, the one, there's a classroom of people like looking at me going, what the, what the hell is going on here? But also, but I mean, it, it, it started to get easy then and I actually left school because I was just, I didn't feel, one, I didn't feel like I could do all that with the friend groups that I had. They just were, they weren't narrow-minded and I, I'm, I'm friends with some of them now in a sense of I've seen them over the years. I wouldn't hang out with them, but um, I just didn't think I could do, do YouTube within the realm of the school I was in but then also at the same time it didn't feel like I could come out within that environment either maybe because I'd been there for so long and I felt like the lie had been told so I needed to move somewhere else to start new so I, I left um, in sixth year and that was luckily when I'd already started an RT and um, and all that um, but yeah it was, it was definitely a, it was a different world completely it's like I always compared to like being everything everything back then that I did back then was uncool was uncool but now is shit hot and it's so annoying it's like i was a youtuber and everybody wants to be a youtuber and you know yeah. now like yeah of course it's so cool to be gay now and it's like all these you know everyone loves the gays it's like back then it was like oh no i'm gonna be burnt at a stake like so it's yeah it's a different world um but i'm delighted because in a way i guess with the youtube stuff i sort of paved a little bit of the way i 100 percent sense 100 percent uh, so if you weren't, you know, doing what you're doing now as a, as a presenter uh, on both radio and television, what do you think you'd be doing if I, any other career? That's a weird one. Yeah. Um, I think I probably would have tried to um, get maybe into acting. Um, my first ever job in RT was acting. So that was that YouTube show that I did was actually more acting than presenting. So I probably would have tried something like that. And I did go to a... a like an open day for thing, and I did apply for uh, acting school and things like that in around that time. Um, but I probably would have gone to IADT if I actually had have applied myself, and I would have done. Um, there was a, they did a course in directing and film directing, so I think that would have been what I would have gone into. Um, so maybe it's somewhat similar, and maybe that's where it was sort of my passion then for working with film at the moment, and you know, speaking to actors and working you know the oscars and all that sort of stuff maybe that's where that sort of kind of it's nice that that ties in with that because i do love film and, and all that but who knows maybe i could have been i don't know a gynecologist or something different universe dr Byrne. <laughs> dr Byrne. oh i like that <laughs> and if you could interview one person in the world in the morning Right, you have somebody to interview. Who are you interviewing? Mm, um, I've never had a list, which is, I think, kind of nice because it means you're always like, oh, wow. It's always like, oh, my God, surprised and all that sort of stuff. But I would probably say um, I'm a big fan of David Byrne. So he's uh, from the Talking Heads, the band from like the 80s and psycho 90s. Killer. And, yeah, Psycho Killer. Yeah, I, I love David Byrne so much. Um, I think he's oh. just so interesting. Um uh, he yeah um kind of uh, weirdly enough like i with music i love music now and music is a you know obviously huge part of my job and i love just exploring music and finding new artists and all that sort of stuff 
But as a teenager, I wasn't that explorative with it. And the reason for it was because the music that I actually think I liked when I was a teenager, was, I was always afraid that if I spoke about it or became fanatical about it or anything like that would have actually outed me. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of weird. So like, but like the songs that I can think back to that I loved when I was a teenager were like ones that I thought, you know, might make me a little bit more appearably gay. And I was very in the closet. So in my 20s then that's when I started to really become fanatical about people and um as I became comfortable myself and didn't really care what people thought of me and and all that which is so sad to think about um as a teenager but David Byrne was one of them and then I got to see him in the three arena two two years ago I think um this show American Utopia which is just an incredible like live performance he's just he's a mastermind of of um putting on a show and um yeah just all the hits from talking heads and then new ones from his new stuff and i have a painting of him over there and um yeah so i'm i'm i I think i'd love to and just so interesting he's been around for the guts of 30 35 years and is still innovating to the point where that show that he did in the three arena is considered by many to be one of the greatest live shows ever made um so much so that spike lee the director wanted to direct the production for for film and stuff so wow um so him yeah and he's just yeah i think he's just his mind it's like he's got like the sort of mind of in a way like david lynch or someone like that who made obviously um classics like twin peaks and stuff i'd like to talk to david lynch as well that'd be cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um if you had somebody to interview you in the morning who would you want to be interviewing you Oh, um, I'm going to go a different way with this um, and say my best friend, Faye, because she, I, she's the only one who I would actually say things to. <laughs> she could get everything out of me that people would want to get out of me. <laughs> or am I supposed to say you? Is that what I'm supposed to say? I've been lucky enough to interview interviewee interviewers uh like i've interviewed colbert i've interviewed conan o'brien i've interviewed oprah winfrey so i've like had that kind of aspect of and it's funny when you do interview people like that they do start to flip it around on you because they are used to being interviewed so to interviewing people so it does become this like two-way dueling of questions (laughs) (laughs) it's very funny um but um, did you grow up? I mean, did you grow up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. What about you? What about you? <laughs> um, but yeah, it makes it good fun. I think someone like that, or I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like obviously to be on something like Graham Norton would be so much fun. So, and that's just, yeah. For the experience, like that would be amazing. And he's a lovely guy. He offered me a, a, a backer on his bike once. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, we were, we were the only ones in a cinema together in central London. And um, we got out of the cinema then. And I was like, I just wanted him to know that I was Irish just because I was like, oh, I might have a conversation then. And I was like, what do you think of the movie? And he was like, shite. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then um, he was like, where are you off to? I was like, oh, I'm just uh, around in whatever hotel around the corner. And he was like, do you want to back her on the bike? I was like, no, I'm grand. <laughs> but uh, I loved, he was on a push bike. He had his high vis and, you know, he's cycling around London. No fancy cars or anything like that. It was like, fair play to you. Yeah. Too right. That's really um, humble. Yeah, really endearing really, as well. It just seems as, like, like that yeah. kind of character though. Mm. What's it like to be a TV and radio personality? Um, it's weird now because I was only thinking the other day that, you know, I'm 13 years doing it, which is nearly 50% of my life, which is mad. You're like, that's crazy. Like, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not like only, I'm only 30, but like 30 <laughs> is young. So in that grand scene, to think that like for half of it, it's been 
at least including YouTube on some level of um, camera is is mad. It's it's lovely. I do like I I love doing things that are that I'm able to challenge ideas, be it like through documentaries and stuff like that. And then radio is such an incredible medium because it can make you know it, you can you feel like a community when people are really reacting to something that you are talking about on air you can yeah. it just feels like this togetherness especially in times like this um it does feel like you know you can you can feel the people listening and you know you try and talk to one person through the thing but it's such a lovely kind of yeah it's it's a nice thing to be able to open that mic and just know that um maybe for someone you know it, it might make them a little bit a little bit less lonely and then for you as well it's like that feedback of of people coming and texting in or you know saying something on twitter or even just knowing that people are listening it's just such a lovely lovely thing um i don't think too much about the outside kind of thing of you know maybe you know people knowing who you are or anything like that like that would never be something that um you know i'd crave in any sense um, it's actually one of the reasons why I stopped YouTube back in the day because I just couldn't take that level of intrusion that was there um, because YouTube's quite a fanatical space and I like you ha- had a lot of influence over people um, when it was really really big and that scared me like it maybe did did make me double think everything I said in case it was interpreted a different way or and not to be taken against me but that it could possibly you know make someone do something or think something or or all that and that just that pressure really scared me yeah it's a certain um, amount of power that somebody yeah has. and i'm just yeah. not i'm not made for that at all like so i mean the people love that and they crave that and i know that and at the time like i was seeing someone who was a youtuber as well and they really loved it they loved that aspect of of just being able to direct people to do something and oh god it made me so nervous and then it also made me so nervous just like questioning who my friends were at the time because of it and yeah. all that and i just didn't i didn't like it and not even but even friends on youtube being like is this all about numbers i always used to say um what good is a friend if the friend in the end is to get you to trend because um and i felt that that around um on a number of things and also i think i had a major imposter sort of syndrome around it as well so that was so that's never something that i would um crave in fact i would shy desperately away from it and definitely in my later years like i love radio i love making things but i definitely want to get into making more things for in terms of documentaries that i'm not the center of and i'm not presenting um because obviously that opens it up to exploring um, a lot of other things but then there's lots of cool shit I get to go to the oscars so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um what was i gonna say what's it like now with covid like is it harder or easier to be a radio host it's a mix i think for some people it's been quite difficult it's a different one for me my show is quite um i travel a lot to do interviews and stuff so it's definitely it's grounded me completely um on that level but i don't think that's necessarily been an incredibly bad thing the other side of it is that i'm actually getting more interviews with bigger names because they're all at home doing nothing and um before it would have always been let's say we had um eddie redman on the show recently and if it's eddie redman it's like well he might be in america so we won't have access to him whereas now it's like if he's in america we have access to him or we have access to you know, whoever it is, because they can just get on a computer. And it was never something that was thought of before, because I think 
it forced us into this and I can actually see this becoming a little bit of the norm, which is a good thing. Um, but also, yeah, definitely miss the travel side of it. So that changed my kind of day to day. But a lot of people were broadcasting from home and they did an excellent job like Owen and Darren. They were doing home shows and, you know, it's six in the morning and I just commend them for it because, you know, it's, it's not the easiest thing to create an atmosphere of a studio outside of a studio, especially when two people are in two separate locations, but they yeah. pulled it out of the bag um, and they did a, an amazing job. So it's changed. Yeah, definitely in that way. And then obviously I think a lot with, you know, the talk shows and things like that, it becomes that balance between how much do you want to talk about it or how much do you want to distract people from it? Um, and, you know, people want information and people want to have discussions about things that are happening right now. But also I think people do need that escape and, radio is a good place to to pull people to pull people out of that so yeah it's changed it massively and then on just a production level you know i haven't seen my producer in six months seven months she's a good thing (laughs) no i love her to bits i love her to bits and she's producing through whatsapp you know so it's like i have the whatsapp thing open she's listening at home and i'm getting notes and getting kind of directions and all that sort of stuff through that and um yes so there's that level of isolation with it as well but um i'm very lucky that i can work and i can go into studio and i can feel like i'm not trapped kind of in my bedroom uh, or anything like that and then even just being able to have a job is is a blessing so um it's changed but it hasn't definitely hasn't changed in a you know horrific way or anything uh what's been your favorite interview today so who ever yeah um i think on a scale of just it being what the hell Oprah is definitely up there as like, ha- ha- what? <laughs> like, cause that's Oprah and she doesn't exist in real life. You know, she's an yeah. anomaly or so I think that, but um, I think if I think back to kind of ones that were really special to me, favorite for fun was Jack Black because we ended up singing tribute together, which was just gorgeous. And that's something yeah. I'll always remember or for me, just as a, a film fan, Steven Spielberg is just the god of cinema. So that was uh, that's what was level. it like to sit down with Steven and talk about like post? Yeah, it was like it was, it was yeah, just talking about that in the film and 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 was just like what? And then also talking about like you know his time in Ireland, Saving Private Ryan, and mm-hmm. you know how much he loves it here, and um, and I mean it's out of body sometimes, like. I do watch movies all the time and all the actors are kind of there and stuff. And then at the end of it, I'm like, Oh, I've met everyone in this film. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like that happens sometimes you're like, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel so real. Like I forget who a lot of people I've interviewed at this stage because there's been hundreds, but um, it, 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 it's out of body somewhat. Um, Sometimes you have to do, do that to not to psych you out, especially if it's someone so big. And it can be over in a flash. Steven Spielberg was like nine minutes, you know? So it's like, whoo, you're in and you're out. And that's long sometimes for an interview. I had Robert Denny Jr. for two and a half minutes once. Like, two and a half minutes. Hi, how are you? Bye. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, that went great. <laughs> so you shot uh, playing straight. Yes. So what was that like for you as a football fan as well and like personally for you to record that what was it like can i put this on will i, will I put that on? um amazing you know i um i obviously played football when i was younger loved so much i always feel like it's what bonds me to my dad as well and we've gone on some amazing trips like as well to to football matches all around the world and um yeah, but for me, like growing up, football was a 
it was a blessing and a curse. I loved it. I was good at it. And then I started to realize that I was gay. And once I started to hear those sort of slurs on the pitch, not towards me or sometimes maybe towards me, but not actually suspecting that I was, um, it just really started to push me back into uh, a low in confidence. And that's why whenever a striker in the Premier League or anyone just loses their confidence, I'm like, I feel you, man. I feel you. Because like, I was top scorer in the league and all that sort of stuff for years. And then all of a sudden, as this happened, like I was shit. I just, it just blew. I just, it just, I, I had no confidence in front of goal, like at all. And it was that, it was the voice behind me of, of someone going, I never had teammates that were like, hard luck. It was always, what the fuck? Yeah. So once, yeah, just toxic. And I remember one time I missed someone, someone called me a, a, the F word, gay slur. And that just solidified into my head. I was like, and I wasn't out, nobody knew, but I was just like, oh. So it really just made me, as a teenager, just sort of start to drift away from the sport, which was such a sad thing because it was my life. I collected all the sticker albums. I, mm-hmm. you know, football manager, I wasted probably about two years of my early life <laughs> on that. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I just love. Yeah. And like one of the greatest days ever was the first day that my dad brought me to Stanford Bridge. And like, oh, yeah. I remember it so well. Like, it was just such a, a gorgeous day. And I got to meet the players after. And you know, I got to meet Zola and Good Johnson. That experience and... alone is just second to none. Like my dad, literally, the reason there's a Bristol City shirt there is my dad mm-hmm. brought me over to Ashen Gate. Like it's it's an amazing experience. And to do it with your father and all that, it's just so lovely. And I know that it meant so much to my dad as well. And it was just, and we stayed over in the Stanford Bridge Hotel and it was just lovely. I yeah. always remember because my mum was so pissed off about how much money we spent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and football, you need yeah. to. <laughs> you need to um so yeah with that so i always thought about doing something around it and then um there was this article that went out in the sun i think it was or the star over in the uk one of them where the mirror it could have been and it was two footballers about to come out next year and then nothing happened and i was like one i don't like that article because it's just like sensationalizing this in a major way and then also like it was quite triggering for me like but like at that point I'd started to get back into football again I was playing five side again I was like oh I miss this so much and um I was like well somebody needs to do something about this so I pitched it to RT as, as an idea but before I pitched them I went to I was over in LA for the Oscars and the only player who was out at that time and it still has ever really been out while they played is um, Robbie Rogers, who played for um, originally for Leeds in, in the UK. But he he left the training ground one day, never came back and came out on Twitter and went back to America. He just quit, canceled his contract, um, played for the United States and then retired for a year and then came back and played for LA Galaxy for the last few years um, with Robbie Keane and all. And I was over there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to tell a lie here. I'm going to email him and I'm going to say, hi, I'm making this documentary. It's commissioned. Any chance I get an interview with you about it? Mm-hmm. I said, it's an interview about like why players don't come out, blah, 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 blah. Went and did it, filmed it with my uh, my friend over there and then was able to go to Orti and be like, hey, I've already done the most expensive part of this documentary, which is flying to Los Angeles. And I've got the interview with the only gay player that's ever like that's played. And other than Justin Fashion, who's come out, can we make this? And they were like, well, I mean, it's, it's an no-brainer now. So Yeah, literally. Um, it's, ama- it's amazing that that little detail could have uh, pushed it Could have changed, yeah. Could have pushed it. They might have been like, no, nah, that's going to cost at least like, you know, I don't know, 10 grand in terms of hotels and flights and all that sort of stuff. You're like, oh. So that was all done. Um, and yeah, so it got commissioned. And then it was amazing. It was eight, well, amazing and horrific. It was eight months of going to grounds all across the UK, meeting fans, which were 
you know, aren't the nicest, uh, some of them weren't the nicest people. I can tell you, that, like, I could tear from one to 20 of that Premier League season who were the nicest fans and down to the least nice. Um, best is Arsenal, weirdly enough. Really? Um, but yeah, but middle of London, I guess, you know, very progressive in, in that sort of way. Um, also um, have, you know, had a number of um, black players over the years and their best team was, you know, pretty much African, like, back yeah. then. So, like, they're, they're probably, you know, they, they're not, don't have, you know, big huge bigots in there um i guess um within their um their fan base so there's that one of their most famous fans is um, matt lucas as well i think from oh um, from little britain. little britain yeah so there's like those sort of things and, and all that um but yes yeah, so that was tough we had moments where we were asking i was having to go up to these you know real proper especially man city worst in the world like oh like i remember asking a man city fan what would you do if a, a gay player came out and he was like oh i think it'd be fine and it'd be fine and it'd be all good and i was like do you did you used to sing the song about john o'shea um so there's a song that would like would be derogatory against john o'shea john for o'shea. being gay and he was like no no i didn't no no i didn't no yeah i did yeah i did yeah 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 you know it's just like this whole denial in them and just oh it was just yeah it was tough and then trying to even burst that bubble and get in to talk to managers or talk to clubs or talk to players was a nightmare. I had a, I'm not going to say what club it was, but I had a, a phone call with the media head of a club as I was trying to talk to their captain, who was also the captain of a major international country. And I was trying to get an interview with him to ask him what would, it, what would happen in a dressing room or how would you kind of, as a captain of an international team and also um, a major Premier League team, put the right things in place for a player to be okay if that happened. And the, the, the media communications director was just said something very like along the lines of, I don't think we need to talk about this. I don't think it's an important topic. I don't give a shit who my players are fucking. If you want to bleep that, I don't care. But like who are my players are having sex with basically. And I was just like, I went straight back to him and I went and I was like, do you know what? When I think about my parents and their relationship, my first thing, headspace doesn't go to my parents riding. My parents, it goes to love, relationship. That's what we're talking about here. You know, you, you, it just shows that the first thing that you're thinking about when you think of gay people is them having sex with each other, which is completely and utterly is part of a relationship completely. But it was just in my head. It was like, that is literally just shows your prejudice right there. That the first thing you think about is two guys in bed together. And that's not what a relationship is. And that's why when you talk about marriage and you talk about equality along that instantly, the first thing that just people who are against it always go to in their head is that side of things yeah. and it's like when people talk about like um being gay being illegal back in in you know before 1993 in ireland and stuff like that it wasn't actually being gay that was legal it was you know sex so that's why i think that um people's headspace goes directly there because it's just something they can't get their own head around yeah. so the fact that he went there as a communications director for a major football league club just really hurt me like actually i was i, I cried i actually cried right after i was like wow how and can you know a person what in such a, a big position like that turn around and say something like that? Do you know? Oh, I don't even know if he was listening to himself. Maybe. I don't know. But he just, yeah, it was so upsetting. Um, and we- then even the FAI were a very difficult bunch to deal with. And, you know, we'd had Martin O'Neill at the time who had said, he made some jokes, oh. homophobic jokes and mm. all that, which is like, 
I don't think he's homophobic or anything like that, but there's, there's, you know, things like that that don't contribute well to it. And also Martin O'Neill played with Justin Fashnew. So we wanted to talk yeah. to him about that because Justin was the first ever out player. And unfortunately, you know, sadly he, he took his own life. Mm. Um, so like there was so much to talk about there, but just were just brushed off. So it was a huge, it was amazingly empowering to see some clubs talking and then also incredibly frustrating. And when we even got to talk to the FA and got to sit down with someone from the FA, they were shitting themselves. Really? I could, yeah. So I was like, I am not going to get a, a, a an honest chat here because this woman is shitting herself <laughs> because like she was like yes I'm not. I don't, obviously because they'd had these um, like five meetings they're like we're gonna have to answer these irish people who won't shut the fuck up and leave us alone <laughs> like obviously because i email them every day like and i even emailed them at one point a video that one of their the the, the the big people in the fa had said in a hearing where he was like if we don't stop this now we're like we're leaving you know, kids on the playground behind and all this sort of stuff. So I sent them that video. I was like, if you put, say this, why can't you say it to me? Like what's, wh- like, where's the, where's the transparency here? Why you, they did a campaign video years ago and it was, they tanked it because they thought it was going to be received badly by people who were homophobic. Like They didn't tank it because they thought it was going to be received badly by gay people, but by people who were homophobic. So um there was all that. Um, so it was a, and, and a tremendous learning experience as well um, to do it as my first documentary and also did it with a re- very good friend of mine who um, directed it and, and all that. So um, amazing. And then also just, you know, being able to go to football matches as a, a job was quite lovely. It was, uh, it wasn't the, yeah, I got to go to the, the less, the, sorry, the Tottenham Chelsea game that won Leicester, the premier league. So that was, uh, oh. That was nice. In in September 2017, you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you decided to go back to school. Yes. So what was that like for you? <laughs> um, it was, it, do you know what? It was uh, one hell of an experience. And I, I've spoken about it somewhat about why I did it. But like, I had a breakup earlier that year. And it was, um, I felt like I almost needed to do something that uh, was going to distract me from it. Because it was just a pretty bad breakup. And I just didn't take it that well um and my confidence and everything was just shot it was like a three-year relationship so i think i needed to do something to distract myself and it was an idea that i'd always had because when i was younger i never opened my leaving cert results i shredded them before i opened them and i did that because i felt like i failed and i just didn't want anyone to see them and that was around the youtube time and i just was ashamed somewhat and i came out a month before my leaving cert so that whole six months was just a very turbulent turbulent time and i was seeing someone when i was 18 doing or 19 doing my leaving cert that my parents weren't very um you know supportive of and not because it was a gay relationship but because he was a dick (laughs) 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 and um which was totally fair so in that sense um it that year was just it just kicked off this um, very turbulent kind of 12 months. So I'd always had this idea of, wow, I've never opened my leaving cert results. I could do that on a show and do it as a way to show what it's like to go through the system and that it leaves some people behind. Like it left me behind when I was 
starting to flex my creative muscles and and do the YouTube stuff and was exploring things that I was genuinely interested in. Yeah. Um, you know, it leaves people behind who have mental health issues or have bereavements or have, you know, things that might've happened that, you know, a physical illness I had a girl within my year back in 2017 who was on dialysis for you know the whole year and like how are you supposed to like why there's no level playing field here at all so um I just wanted to dive into it and do it like that and yeah like we I pitched it in the June we were I was back I was in school in the September like it was just a like I, it's the quickest sort of and even actually we weren't fully commissioned until two weeks into my leaving cert like into the I, I was like I'm just gonna go oh I'm just going to go to school. And then if they don't commission it, I'm like, well, I went to school. So like you <laughs> might as well commission it. Like, come on. So we just started filming and then it was finally put through, but it was, a, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It gave me such an insight into the emotional intelligence of young people and, and how the system doesn't work for everybody, but it does for others, how you can apply yourself to it. Um, the importance of teachers and the compassion from teacher to teachers is, um, is huge. And how a, a good relationship with a teacher and the ones that are rooting for you is important. But then, you know, in some schools, people don't have that and they don't have that sort of, you know, feeling that their teachers care. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a major learning experience and I would never, ever do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. And it was, it was, I, I liked also the fact that like people were like, whoa, that was nice. It was a nice sort of, at a time when I felt incredibly low and I wasn't going through the best time because of the breakdown of a relationship and, um, and all that, I really needed people to kind of tell me that I was doing something good. And that was, um, that was really important. Yeah. Um, so have you any big projects coming up? In- yeah i'm at the moment like because obviously this like there was a, a commission a, a documentary for commission back before we this all happened um i was going to become a drag queen but uh i don't think that's going to happen because we don't have live shows we you know we can't do performances and all that yeah so that was the idea yes yes <laughs> fingers crossed i mean it'd be amazing it was kind of like the idea of like when i was younger drag and things like that when i wasn't too comfortable with myself even pride would have just made me feel like even like even around the 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 referendum and stuff like panty was incredible like there was just elements of it that i was like oh but that doesn't represent me bullshit yes it does like back then it made me feel a little uncomfortable because i was like but it does and that wasn't anything to do with anybody else that was my own internalized homophobia that was my issue so to be fair that that kind of came with the environment yeah, one hundred percent. That came from you know the football side of things and yeah. and and all those sort of different things. But like now, it's like no, I love that. Give me the flamingos and the the glitter and <laughs> all that side of it. And you know, there's a different part of me which is just you know I like other things as well. But we're all human. We're all complex like that. So I I wanted to kind of face that why I felt like that at a certain stage the internalized homophobia that a lot of young people have and. Um, we, which like in the community there's a lot of like mask for mask people wanting to you know just like have you know uh, you know i just only date guys who are men and all this like shut up like like that's so discriminatory and like i date people like you know what i mean like that's where like i'm at so like it's looking at that side of the community and then also exploring you know toxic masculinity somewhat through the veil of adopting this you know effeminate side of you through drag and performance and the history of drag how we wouldn't have the rights we have right now as lgbtq plus people 
if there were no drag queens because things like Stonewall in America were, you know, they were driven by, um, you know, people in drag, but also the transgender community, which is so important as well. Like they, they're the leaders from the beginning with things like Stonewall. So I wanted to explore like loads of different sides of that. And, um, and yeah, so hopefully maybe one day we can do that. But right now I'm really just focusing on day-to-day. Uh, breathing is a really big achievement. <laughs> on, um, so uh, there's that. And then, you know, just maybe, you know, pitching something soon. Um, I have a few good ideas, but the drag one for me was a good one because it was like, I don't have to do something that's incredibly personal. All my other documentaries have been like, here you go. Here's why I'm sad. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> I have one in my arsenal that I, I I I know would be incredible, but it is again just literally me taking my cell out and putting it on a, on a plate, and I've just got to figure out when I'm ready to do that. I think. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you four short, quickfire memories. So something it can be good or bad, but like you choose. Okay. Uh, something from school, something from work something from something to do with your family and something to do with your friends okay um something from school i would say probably are we going funny and horrific would that be good we, we, um, can, we can go yeah, yeah age 12 um first day of secondary school like was really nervous did not go to the school i wanted to go to because all my friends went to another school and uh to bring us all together and we went uh, bowling on the first day and um obviously maybe i was just really nervous or maybe i was just an absolute klutz which i think is actually more of it i just bowled a bowling ball and i went with it and i fell face first on the bowling ball on my first day of school and smacked my teeth out <laughs> oh my god so i've been on an 18 year journey to fixing these things that i'm still in the midst of right now um oh and yeah so that was my first day of school how was your first day of school i fell face first on a bowling ball and lost my two front teeth yeah <laughs> out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, uh, oh. that, that definitely that's definitely middle of the road <laughs> yeah probably worse um and then with work um i'll go for a good one probably the first time i stepped foot on the, the carpet of the oscars that was a real moment of in my head sort of hustle because i had pitched it i'd i was 22 I'd, I'd pitched it i'd worked it out myself i'd gotten the budget together i felt like it was like it was the first time i felt like i was an adult somewhat um, family <laughs> i would say i think a good memory with family would probably be <laughs> or we go for a funny one um <laughs> go i think actually just in terms of my family like i love them so much they're they're incredible my mom and dad are just so supportive my dad still texts me before every single radio show saying have a good show and god knows you know how many i've done now at this stage so, <laughs> like, so you're, you're well past the the hundred thousand mark would you be probably like, i don't know it's, but it's a copy and paste job i'm like thanks <laughs> 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 i'm sure he's copy and pasting as well yeah. um, so there's that but um but I think, yeah, those kind of early years in Australia were definitely like, they're nice, lovely memories to have of just like, um, you know, being in the car on the way out to the beach and um, they'd be playing like Tracy Chapman on on the thing and I can hear that. And anytime I hear a Tracy Chapman song or something, it just brings it back. And just, yeah, the fact that my family was just great and kind of all those early sort of memories. I'm so glad that we had just different kind of 
moments around the world that um, we had from such an early age. Um, or even, yeah, if we're just saying, like, more specifically, my dad, the football side of things. And oh, no. we went to the Europa League final in Azerbaijan and to see oh. Chelsea against Arsenal. And that was like a just a whirlwind of, like, can we do this? I bought the tickets in February because I knew it was going to be Eden Hazard's last game, even though he hadn't been confirmed to be leaving. But I was like, he's going to leave. I know he's going to leave. And also, <laughs> I knew, I didn't know we were going to make it there, but I was like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. And then it just ended up being this gorgeous trip to Baku a 22 hour flight um, and you know a, a strange city we'd never been to or never thought of going to and my dad as we just you know and my dad loves that like my dad just adores the father son you know yeah. real element yeah. of things and like even now to this day like when we watch a Chelsea game he'll turn to me and he'll be absolutely cringe and he'll just go that was great when we went to Azerbaijan, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, of course it was. We went to Azerbaijan, Dad. We went to Azerbaijan. Of course it was cool. And it was great. It was great, you know? You rode but, a camel to the match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was, he just, I can just, he loved it so much. And that's so gorgeous. Um, and then friends, I think I've got a picture here. Um, so like when I was a teenager, um, I remember the first time we started hanging out with girls and all that sort of stuff. And it was this like group of friends. And then I became very good friends with this girl, Faye. And for a few years, then we just didn't see each other. We just, it just, we went separate ways um, from like maybe 17 to 24. I saw her maybe six or seven times in those years. And we always had this connection. And I, she she went on to become a singer and she was in a band called Little Green Cars who had oh, you know, the John Wayne. Yeah, John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. I love that song. So number one album, two number one albums, um, big, you know, all that playing around the world, playing Coachella, all that sort of stuff. Got to a point where I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can message her anymore to be like, can we meet up? Because it's like, oh, she won't talk to me now. She'll think <laughs> I'm. But then I went to a gig in the ambassador's house in for, for the 4th of July. And um, it was, uh, yeah, they were playing at it. I was like, oh my God, that is insane. So I went up to her after. I was like, oh, how are you? It's amazing. And she was like, oh my God, we need to hang out. And I was like, yeah, we do. I, I'm so glad we've seen each other. And this picture was like, I took this picture two months after that. Um, and it's just a picture of me and work. But I always look at this picture to be like, that's the, that's the happiest I've ever been because she came back into my life after that. And ever since then, um, she has now become like my best friend again and like six months after we were we met again we were living together we moved in together um amazing so um an amazing you know i vicariously lived through her successes i'm so proud of her i think she's the most talented person i know and um it's so lovely to have that sort of creative friend as well who's just absolutely firing on all, all cylinders and yeah just like so friendship wise any memory with her be it going on a absolute pub crawl through Disneyland <laughs> or um you know I went on tour with her as she supported Hosier in the States and I went on a oh, tour wow. across America with them and and all that they're they're the the precious memories she's a she's got a part of my soul but uh Stephen thanks a million for coming on tonight I really appreciate your time and it was great to have you fantastic I didn't mess <laughs> up <Yay. laughs> pop up in the show yeah <laughs> yeah